Don't. It's a spaceship. Hi, everybody. It is. Hello. It's... <laughs> Welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's, it's Toby Miller here, and I'm at the Frog and Toad. No, where am I? Tugboat Brewery. I'm at the Tugboat Brewery with a number Portland of friends, Brewery. but the big star of the conference, Janet Roscoe. Let's give it up, boys. Janet Roscoe, boss woman of the conference, major leaguer. Janet, what's it like running a big show like this? Big with, show. With big male egos, <laughs> pissing at the trough. How do you cope with it all? Can, can, can you say things like that? <laughs> that was Dan Schiller, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Dan, that's Mr. Dan Schiller to you. Also known as Dr. Dan Schiller and Professor Dan Schiller. No, but in all seriousness, Janet, this is a great tribute to you, uh, not only as somebody with an amazing research background and teaching background, but as an organizer to put all this together. I just like to get my friends together, you know? Um, seriously, what's great about living close to Portland is that you announce a conference, a small conference. People like small conferences. Yeah. They get to actually talk to people and know who's there. You also identi identify a uh, topic that people are interested in and you don't often focus on television. And you organize a conference in Portland. And it you happens. Know, what, and it happens. What, what made right. you choose TV? We did a conference a couple years ago called What is Film. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and and it, was, it, it was fine. It was good. It was great. We had a lot of um, professional industry people, um, the folks who try to get people to come up to Oregon to shoot films and all that. Oregon Plus Film academics. Commission. Yes, so Governor's on. Office of Film and Television. Right. Uh, and some other folks, and that and that was good. It was great. It was terrific. And I'm fortunate enough to have an endowed chair where I have some money that I can, you know, put into organizing these things. So I thought, okay, let's have another one of these events. First, I thought about uh, what is new media. Good question. But you know, I think it's too soon to talk about what is new media or too late. I don't know which. <laughs> uh, and I, quite honestly, I didn't really want to deal with that issue and the people who are doing that. Quite honestly, because of various reasons. So I thought, ah, yeah, new media. Television is something that I don't think is enough attention these days in various ways. It's it's changing, and I thought there should be some attention given to what's going on in television right now and what people are seeing might happen in the future. It was really pretty easy. It started evolving throughout a call for papers, and it was very easy to get... 80 plus people proposing papers and sprinkle a few professional industry types and, uh, and there you have it. So, Off you go. Now, yeah. one of the things that interested me is that during much of the conference there's been a, a movement between talking in quite personal terms and talking in quite institutional terms. 
television is such an intimate medium, yeah. but an easy medium, that it encourages this kind of shuttle diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. So very often we're being asked as an audience about our own uses of TV in a way that might not happen at a conference on, for example, biology or geology. Certainly, what? Well, could Put be... down that rock. Yeah, right. <laughs> that dirty, dirty rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, we study the media, but to study it, we have to engage in it. Uh, one of the reasons why we probably got became interested in studying the media is because we engaged in the media. We, you know, we watched television, watched films, and so forth. Um, read newspapers, watched. Nice to meet. Hope to see you tomorrow. Yes. See you. Thanks for coming. And so I think it's inevitable that there's a personal and, 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 a, and a more institutional or professional Well, it's partly a domestic. For most of us, it's mostly been a domestic medium. We're in a bar, and there's a television there, and that's very common nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But when we grew up, there might be one television in the odd bar showing boxing or something like that, but it wasn't ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was principally something you experienced at home. It wasn't normally right. in the workplace. That's right. That's right. So, in other words, you're saying that television, as it has evolved, has been a personal kind of medium. Well, there's right? a real intimacy there. If you yeah. think about the yeah. telephone, at one level, the telephone is a much more intimate medium. But at another level, people always have a telephone at the office as part of any desk job, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it could be very public. Because many, many telephones would be in an open plan office. There might be a hundred telephones and a hundred and eighty people within the space of this bar. But telephones, okay. So now we're all carrying our own telephones, and it's very personal. But it's, I think it's so different from something like television, uh -huh. because of you know people are talking about stories and you know, all of that. I mean the. the Telephone, we supply the content still, mostly, unless they're, you know, smart. I don't, I'm stuck in fucking phone trees. Oh, well, see. I'd love to supply some bloody content to all these companies I bring up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nobody listening. I just say, agent, agent, agent. But you're doing it now. You're doing personal television now. This, yeah. is, what, this is what's going on at this table. That's right. Here we are in the bar. It's unprecedented. Ten years ago, or something. Like that. That's here we true. Are, here That's we right. Are about having a conversation about television. It's it's a conversation that could be beamed to hundreds of thousands, a million people. Yeah. And we're doing television. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, some other kind of television, a new kind of television. Yeah. We haven't really defined. No, Joe. But that's we're right. doing. I agree. I agree. I agree. But I suppose that's what I'm thinking that it is. It is an intimate medium that was also very much about familial or solitary watching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and now uh, that, has, that has changed somewhat, and it made it quite different. Uh, I was thinking about the number of people I've slept with, <laughs> and I realized it's in the thousands. I'm the kind of Wilt Chamberlain uh, because of an... 100-point game, huh? Yeah, but he died alone on a circular bed. Yeah. Television has always been a scene of bragging. But think about, <laughs> no, I'm thinking about the number of people I've 
been asleep with in movie theaters or airplanes. I have slept in the same room as thousands and thousands of people over my life. Very well said. Slept right? in the same room, but... Slept with. With. You know, oh, we're, we're sleeping together. I'm, so, yeah. I'm very impressed. There are no walls, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Thousands and thousands. thousands. Probably all of you have too. I have slept with thousands of people. Yep. The human race has a future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Wait a minute, now, how are you connecting this to television? Well, but I'm saying, the bizarre thing is, what are the circumstances in which you would turn all the lights off with a bunch of, a very large number of people you've never met? It happens in a movie theater. Yes. You're quite happy. I mean, yes. it's bizarre. Stranger danger. An anxious parent saying, well, darling, uh, I want you to go off the street now and go into a building with 350 people, none of whose names I know. In the dark. Turn off no the lights. Then turn all the lights off, and I'll pick you up at the end. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's bizarre. In the same way as I'm going to get into a piece of metal with 350 people I've never seen for 14 hours, and the lights are going to turn off, and I'm not going to hide my wallet, my passport, nothing. I mean, these are really amazing spaces within which immensely lawful activity goes on under apparently, you know, completely anarchic circumstances. Ha, 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 yep. Have you interviewed Pee Wee Herman lately? <laughs> I mean, since Sorry. since Pee Wee's comeback, he's been outside the podcasts. To yeah, me. yeah, okay, okay. Because he might have some things to say about. That. He had run into some problems in movie in yes. darkened places. Yes. It's quite true. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is, television is both that very intimate personal world. Yeah. And it's but also the, this world of the family thing. Trust. Right. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. In yeah. these strange spaces. Well, they, they're trying to sleep. They're sleepy on flight A151. Janet, tell us, I mean, because I've introduced this personal element. Yes? First memories for you of TV. Oh, geez, now you're going to talk about age. I, uh, first memories of TV. You know what? Uh, live children's television. Number one, uh, Beanie and Cecil. Beanie and Cecil. Beanie and Cecil, a great program that was puppets, it was live, but also local. There were local children's television hosts, you know? In California. San Diego, yeah. In California, right, right. Skipper John and, you know, I, you know. Probably everywhere. The local children right, right, right. would appear. Okay. And also conventions for elections, presidential elections, conventions, when they first started being televised, were incredibly exciting. Which is what, 52, 56? Well, I'm not even sure when, but, but in the 50s. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, um, yeah. it's no question yeah. to ask a lady. I'm ancient, yeah. No, uh, but seriously, that was exciting. Yeah. No. Yes, 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 yesterday. But seriously, that was exciting to see that process going on. 
And I don't sense that, by the way, quote, at all anymore. I mean, do we, do we even have those conventions anymore? Probably, but they're not as exciting. But the liveness yes. is the quality yes, of yes, you Yes, 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 absolutely. From those and it days. also is, by the way, why a lot of what I watch anymore on television, I watch sports. Football, basketball, the liveness. Cooking. Well, that's yeah, that's not live, but uh, you don't know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> so Nancy, this 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 next convention, the Republican convention, could be again for the first time in many many years a very interesting convention. Could it's be. It's not clear that for the first time in forty yeah. or forty yeah. years, who the candidate's going to be. The, uh, the outcome is pretty It's not clear it's going that's to be That's right. That's right. That's right. But that, to me, that was really exciting. And, and part of it was the liveness. And, of course, I you know, if we're talking about memories, uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I mean, it's momentous. Uh, well, there's that. And yeah, 1963, yeah, the that's yeah. the moment when television news expands on the networks from yeah. 15 minutes a night yeah, right, to half, to half an, an hour. hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the moment when Dan Rather becomes a national figure, yeah. moving on to a further career. Huntley, briefly. You have three days without commercials. Yes, 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 on yes. The no, and, and so th th those are things, I mean, you have to remember not just the entertainment that we grew up with, but those political moments, those moments in the history of, of the country that then became televised uh, and part of your memories that you associate with television. And don't you remember Dick Van Dyke and Carol Burnett? Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. With those yeah. actually more important than the man on the moon and well, yes and no, because, but yeah, yeah, but seriously, I think in ways that I'm not sure, for instance, our students these days will acknowledge the importance of events, important events that are televised. I think we all knew that this was incredibly important in terms of the Kennedy assassination, the man in the moon. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows where they were. And, and, and it's, it's the only comparable thing these days is 9-11, I think. 9-11, right? So, where were you and when did you hear about it and, and you followed it? But those things, I think there were a few more of them that then impressed upon you, wow, tele and this is live and, and it was something new and not taken for granted. Right? Um, yeah, so, memories. And you went to work in television. That, well, I She's actually, holding her nose, Mrs. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure out what I should share. Um, everything. Everything. I met someone who worked on a children's television show in Phoenix, Arizona. I went to visit him. It was a great show. It was live and all that. I was so impressed with the whole process of television. So I, w I started at the university and I thought, oh, I'll take a course in television. And then from then on, I was stuck. I was, you know, I was sucked in. 
and I didn't even finish my bachelor's degree because I wanted to work in television. So I moved to LA before I finished, got a, you know various jobs in the industry, and realized, geez, there's so much potential in this what you know this television thing and what is it being used for i really i mean i work for commercial production houses i work for disney i work for television stations and mainly they were they were selling soap and i thought wow this you know this resource is being wasted i thought oh, i want to figure out why that's happening i went back and got my degree and um, and where did you study? Where did you do that degree? At, in at, at Cal State Northridge. Uh -huh. I wanted to study educational television. Well, that was boring because you know I was like talking heads and all that. Anyway, started becoming a bit more critical. The '60s, you know, and feminist movement and all that. And so I just stuck around. I read this book by this guy named Herb Schiller. Seriously, an inspiration for so many of us, mass media in American Empire, mass communication in American Empire. And from then on, I just had questions. And the book came out in 69, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no, seriously, I think so many people around that time were so really inspired by oh, that. Oh, and all I mean, over the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, all absolutely, over the world. Absolutely. And so for me, it was, I just kept having questions, you know, and I. I, I where could you ask those questions at a university? And then I wanted to try to influence people to think critically. And where can you do that? You know, so. can, can I intrude one thing? Oh, please. It would be a very interesting project for someone to try to reconstruct uh, what was never called this then, but the media reform movement of the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. It would be a very interesting oh, project. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it would cut across into many things that have subsequently, I think, separated out, yeah. but which at that time formed a complex unity. Oh, video access movements? Yes. yes. The idea that you, know, you would make video technology available to all people, yes. and this would undermine the hegemony of the yes. networks. Yes. 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 And, and that was going on, absolutely. It was going on in this country, probably other countries as well. Yeah, I think I think that that's excellent. Well, I'm just saying that. I mean, you were alluding to that yeah, really yeah. in your own yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's a guy at the conference who read about the conference in the paper here, and uh, he came today. He says he's the first person who had an interactive television show. In Portland, in the Northwest, in, yeah. And the way that somehow he connected to people is through their, um, they interacted through their touch-tone phones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he just, he just left, but he's, he, he was here oh, well, sharing his experience. He was also pioneering and setting up the red, uh, the light rail system and so on. Really? Oh, I, I didn't hear that. One of the things that you might get Lloyd to talk about when he arrives, Lloyd Segan, tomorrow, is he worked on K-Cube, whatever it's called, you know, the AT&T Time Warner oh, Interactive yeah, TV yeah, project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? In really? In the early 80s. Sure. He, he was there as a college kid on an internship. Wow. Right at the beginning of oh, that's interesting. those efforts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's no, there's, the, it, but the point history. here is that there's really interesting examples of people not just adhering to that commercial model, 
you know, there's stuff that was going on, and a lot of times that's just forgotten. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's not uh, part of the history of television. Right. You know? Yeah. Brian Murdoch was here when he was in San Diego, right? There was something going on then. Yeah. There were three or four people there who were trapped out because your father was there. Well, one of them was Dee Dee Halleck, yes. who is a dynamo still, but started Paper Tiger Television in the 60s, 70s. You, oh, well, when Satellite was introduced. And uh, they're, they're, they're celebrating, what, the, I don't know, 30-year anniversary of Paper Tiger Television. Very kind of radical. And... and, and one of the, the things they did on Paper Tiger is have people, scholars sometimes, activists, media activists, take a particular medium and talk about it, read it critically. Herb did uh, the New York Times, that was one of the first ones, if not the first one. Uh, other people would read, oh damn, what, I, I can't even remember who they were. Stuart Ewan did something. Did you ever do one? Yeah. I wanted to do variety, but someone else did it. But anyway, they would get right. these people yeah. to do uh, kind of critical readings. Yes. Yeah. And they were fantastic. And done in an avant-garde way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, no high production values. No, right. In fact, a, and then at the end, they would they would listen. They would go through the budget for the show. Yeah. You know, ten dollars uh, um, for cue cards. Uh, you know, uh, twenty dollars for you know. They're on YouTube. For the crew. Them on YouTube. I think. That's Are they? Safe. Yeah. We're we're having Dee Dee come to the University of Oregon in May to kind of celebrate this uh, alternative media thing. Are any of these things still Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Janet, something took you off to the University of Illinois. Now, that's been a major place for political economy of communications really for 60 years. Since uh, the 40s, Dallas Smythe. Even earlier. Yeah, right. Even Mid earlier. 40s. Yes. I, I, I don't want. I'll no, go that. ahead. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was in the library there uh, a year or two ago. There was an economist at the University of Illinois in the 20s and 30s named Horace Gray. Horace Gray was one of the people that appeared in various congressional hearings on anti-media monopoly uh, issues. Wow. And he was clearly someone who played a role in having Dallas get there. I don't know how that may have happened, but that they were friends is indisputable. And um, uh, anyway, I, I found um, a copy of a Federal Communications Commission report on the telegraph industry that's in um, a mimeograph form from 1938 or 39, and the uh, owner of it was Horace Gray. He had tried to erase his name from it, but you could still make it out, and there were all kinds of marginalia in the report, uh, him taking issue with the things in the, and so, so, I mean, I think it's clear, and I actually got a student to try to do some work bibliographically yeah. on uh, dissertations and so forth that had been done at the U of I on communications topics before the institute. And, and before Dallas and was before there. And before Dallas. And there are there are quite a few. Wow. 
so that's really interesting. So it goes back yeah. that far. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So Dallas Mines been there. Dallas was Pope, there Pope's, after, yeah, after there. he was at the FCC, well, he got and he had an amazing course, two semesters on the political economy and communications. Oh, and you took that class? No, 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 not from Dallas, time, right? not from Dallas, yeah. Dallas, and then Herb was there, some other folks were there, but then... Uh, my advisor was Tom Gubeck, who was right. Dallas Smythe's student. And so the, how I got to Illinois was, I thought, well, you know, this educational television is not on. It's not working. It's not, you know, it's like... And I started looking around for media that, where, you know, there's really some exciting stuff, some creative stuff, some, you know, some space. And I thought, well, film, you know, there's some really amazing films. So I thought, oh, I want to know more about film. And then I discovered this guy at the University of Illinois who did something called political economy. I didn't know what it was. Really? Was this because Gubak's international Hollywood film industry book he, had come Well, out, he had also that. taken over the political economy class, his work in film, and so, and he also, one of the, the appeals was he had a course called Socialist Media. I thought, wow, I want to know about that. And, you put that on there, you probably get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I think he could booted out of the university <laughs> in this country. Well, that, that, that's a super. I can't imagine teaching. So you went to work with Gubak. Yes. What about the, the people, and I say this as somebody who was a friend of Jim Carrey, but uh, the people who were opposed in many ways to political economy, opposed to her, opposed to Gubak like Jim. Uh, what was it like in those days in terms of those yeah. tensions? What, what was very interesting when I was there, there was there was Tom Gubeck doing political economy based on this kind of legacy of you know right. Herb and Dallas and so forth and others. Uh, but then there were the culturalists, not cultural studies, but the culturalists, kind of represented by Carey and students of his. Dirkheimians, really. Yeah, and they pulled in Dewey and the Chicago yeah. School. James. Yeah, right, right, right. Interesting stuff, but also they, I think they were the only place where they were actually assigning, we were reading British cultural studies in the country. I think. Isn't that a weird Yeah. Well, yeah, but at the time, there, there were, it wasn't seen as very compatible. You know, in fact, I was, I was sitting in the wonderful communications library in Illinois. Fantastic! It is one day reading Dewey because it was a sign for a course, and so Tom Gubeck come in, came in, and he says, uh, "What are you reading?" I said, "Well, I'm reading some Dewey." He says, "Oh." God, why are you reading that? <laughs> Just like, what on earth? Why would you be reading that? You know. So there was a bit of That's tension. Sad, isn't it, though? There was tension at the time. Yeah. Um, and also that started being represented in the students. More in, uh, we had a nice group of political economy doctoral students at the time. Uh, Jennifer Slack, Eileen Meehan, Fred Feejus, and, and a few other people. We were Amazing studying with Tom Gubeck. Yes. 
But then we also had the culturalists, and and we had this nice little, you know, kind of not a war, but you know, tension going on. But people like Jennifer are quite associated with cultural studies as well. Well, she was doing a little bit of at the time a combination of stuff, but she shifted more to cultural studies. Yeah. If I can say one other thing, though, I mean, the the hidden term here was the mainstream of communication research in the United States. Thank you. Which was you. which was the thing that both of these groups were Absolutely. against. Absolutely. So they Absolutely. found a lot of common Thank ground. You. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was we had various paradigms, and the paradigm that first was challenged was that dominant paradigm, the mainstream paradigm, and both of them, you're absolutely right, absolutely right. And I think that not very many other places, I mean, it started having some students at Stanford, some students other places, but I think Illinois really represented a wider variety of approaches to studying communications than any other place at the time. Um, well, the culturalists ruled, by the way, because of Kerry. Because he was but, the dean for much of yes, the time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had his students like Cliff Christians and a couple of others there who, you know, you know, were... were up the banner. That's right. But the point is, you guys were not doing behavioralism, you were not doing effects research. Although there were folks there who did some of that. You know, we had Fishbine and, and, and a few others. I mean, they did have really strong effects researchers, but there was a really nice critique of that going on, too. And Carrie did, doesn't, did a great critique of that, you know. Cats and Lazisfeld and choices of toothpaste and the two-step theory, they all derive from Southern Illinois, Central yes, Illinois. Yes, they do. Yeah, and Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In any event, so yeah. you're there and you're working on Hollywood. Yeah, eventually. I, I had a few ideas about what I wanted to do. I definitely wanted to do something related to film, and so I would uh, suggest these ideas for research to Professor Bubak. And I'd go in and say, you know, I'd really like to study film festivals, because I thought I could travel and you know, be exciting, you know. Meet cute guys. <laughs> and he says, oh, I don't know, I don't know. That, 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 that. And, then, and then I started thinking about labor, in the film industry, and you know, it hadn't really been. He says, "Well, you know, it could be dangerous." Thinking about that period in the history of Hollywood with the blacklist and all that, and going into that, he thought, "You know, you're going to run into some problems. You know, they're they're going to get after you." And of course, as most good advisors, he had a list of topics that he wanted to see his students do. And one of them was... Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it seriously wasn't that, but ideas about things that he thought would be good ideas. And one of them was uh, 
financing a film and banks in the film industry. And I thought, oh, I can't even balance my bank account, you know. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, that's absolutely basic. So fundamental. And so I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll take on that. And, and we thought about it, where do I start? You know, where do you find information about that? And so anyway, my research involved just throwing out this big net to see what was out there. And it ended up being kind of this historical overview of those relationships between banks and the film industry. And this is a book that become, this becomes the book Movies and Money. Yes. Which comes out in 81, 82. You've been doing some research. <laughs> Something like Once that. Once upon a time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Not yeah, for tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With which Abe Lex. Yeah, right. Abe, which, you know, was a, a terrific resource for some of us publishing at the time. When, you know, we, we probably couldn't get published with a lot of other presses, but yes. Um, and, and it ended up being a historical overview of the, the changes in that relationship between banks and the film and finance capital. Uh, the 30s where the banks literally owned some of the studios and how that changed over time. Um, and I was able to do some nice archival work and interviews and so forth. I think it's, you know, I think it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> no, I, I, but seriously, because it was primary research and it hadn't been I'm done. a proud owner of the book. So, uh, at this point, we're going back 30 years now. Oh my God. What had you learned about how to do political economy? Whoa, whoa, we just lost a few people at the table. <laughs> um, what have I learned about? One of the interesting things is access to the kind of information you need to do to study political economy. And that's it's interesting because on the one hand, you could say, wow, there is so much out there, so much information that we have access to. And I think it's true, internet and all of that. But it, it's still a challenge to find information that, well, sort through the information and make sense of it, and then find the information you really need to get at the structure of power, the structure of ownership, and 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 it's um, it's far more complex often than just identifying who owns something. The structures of ownership have to really be analyzed, and um, it's not always that straightforward. There's some complexities, you know. Um, I don't know if that's answering the question. That's very helpful. So archival work is very important. Well, historically, which of course for political economy, history is basic, absolutely fundamental. And I would say it's at the heart of political economy in a way because you can't just start now. You have to really know 
know how things have evolved and what's going on and what has been and what you know what's going on. And so, what about yeah. the question of your own personal experience as someone who worked in the industry? Did you ever feel as though have you ever thought? that there were links to be drawn between your sense of social relations, social forces in everyday life in the industry and political economy? Um, that's interesting. I think when you work in the industry in some ways, and I, 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 I didn't have positions of power or creative positions, but you get a sense that, in some ways, this is an industry, you work in an industry, you're, you work. But also, um, I'm not so sure that there is always that insight from working in the industry. I mean, I, in fact, I think sometimes we're pretty good at figuring out what's going on in terms of media, and we don't always have to be have 10 years of experience working in the media to understand the significance of it and how it works. In fact, kind of interesting that the, the whole you know, going back to my dissertation and the financing of film and all that in some ways it was kind of discouraging but after my book came out I had interviewed some bankers first National Bank of Boston and uh, they were kind of interesting and helpful but um, Several years later, a new banker arrived to do the movie uh, accounts and contracts. And so he wrote me, he says, I just discovered your book and it is so helpful. It really, really helps me understand this industry, which, you know, yes. And I, you know, I, I sat there and I thought, whoa, that's flattering. But then, wait a minute, did he skip over that stuff about Lenin and Marx and you know, finance capital and all that. But no, sometimes what we do is very helpful for people in the industry to understand what they do, if that makes sense. We are the champions of the world. It's good to have an Iranian song playing at this moment in the international political economy, I guess. In the podcast with Graham Turner yesterday, he said, I didn't get into this business to help business make money. Yes. And there's been very yes. significant endorsement of that on Facebook today. Well, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I can jump to the Disney stuff I've done, and one of the... Um, consequences of doing this, we did a study of the international audiences for Disney, and the Disney Global Audience Study, and, and so I talked about it at a sociological conference, the ASA. American and, Sociological Yeah, yeah, in, in, in LA, they, Anaheim, and so it was picked up by the LA Times. It led the uh, re report that they did on the conference. 
so I got an email late, uh, shortly after that from someone at Disney saying, whoa, this is great. Why don't you come and join us? We're having a retreat where we're going to talk about building our brand. And maybe you can help us. My students are always disappointed when I tell them that I didn't go. <laughs> and they don't get it. You know, but See, Graham Murdoch would have gone. Oh. And then written down Well, at that point in time, I had done whatever I wanted to do. So, quite honestly, it would have been earlier in research on Disney, I might have. But at that point, I just thought, I don't want to help them. I, you know. Can you tell us something about the Disney Audiences Project? Um, it was an attempt to say, let's take a particular brand, Disney, that's globally out there, and try to do a little bit of political economy and audience research and, and see what you know see what we find it was a little bit naive and we've been hammered by the methodologist um, but I still think it was an interesting study because of Disney as a very unique brand in some ways not in others um, that people do recognize around the world um, and the other thing I was a genuinely international yeah 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 so um, you know, we did some things that I would do differently, but I thought it, it was a good attempt to actually talk about and try to uh, do some research that took cultural imperialism and try to actually explore that in terms of, okay, how is this company actually, you know, affecting people? I hate to say that, but yeah, I mean... But the other thing I liked about it is that we also allowed individual researchers to talk about, okay, what's what's happening in Denmark? What's interesting in Korea? And so not arguing that it's across the board, uniform responses. So I remember I really liked the chapter on Greece actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I like the one on Denmark, uh, where someone was interviewed and they said, Donald, he's so Danish. You know. And yeah, and some really, I mean, and also, of course, the Japanese um, context where a uh, wonderful researcher, cultural studies in Japan, uh, he teaches a course on Disney, and his students can't stand it because they not only, you know, they don't want to be critical, they don't want to be talking about Disney because that's almost, you know, uh, sacrilegious, you know, because it's so revered by young people. So anyway, I... 94? Oh, no, early 2000. Early 2000. 2000s, yeah, yeah. And maybe we should do it again and make it a little more sophisticated or whatever because, damn, Disney's still out there. Um, and speaking of service to Hollywood that you love to perform, <laughs> it would have been just after that that How Hollywood Works came out. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Which was an attempt to say, 
hey, you guys, maybe we should talk about how Hollywood works, right? I, I still think it's really important for us to look at how these industries actually work. Uh, there may be convergence, but there's still some industries, specific, specific industry policies and structures that, that still prevail. And even if they are converging, um, we should understand things other than just it's all concentrated and you know it's bad how how does that work and I actually was a little nervous about how people in the industry would feel about it did I get it right uh, and since then I've had some industry folks read it and they said I mostly got it right but it's changed a bit but I don't know. Um, I thought it was just something. I think it should be good for television too. I don't know of a book that really talks about how television works, how newspapers work, all these industries which I think have different traditions, different. They're changing, of course, of course, but there's still these kinds of traditions, ways that the industries are structured, policies, and you know all that. So. There you go. Now, here's the next thing. Going back in time a little bit, you were also involved in those fabulous Moscow, Wasco, Wasco, Nixo <laughs> books. Where I'd never heard of these people, but I just couldn't believe they were books edited by Moscow, Wasco, and Donald. Uh, they were everywhere. They kept coming out. And I could never work out whether Vinnie Moscow was a girl or a boy. Whether it was Janet Moscow or Janet Wasco, I was completely confused. I can't have been alone amongst your world followers. That's why Vinny and I had t-shirts that said, He's Moscow, she's Wasco. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Some people didn't, you know, they thought it was just... You've got to uh, say it's like a, like a borscht, it's like a borscht belt meets Little Italy. Stand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moscow and Moscow. Absolutely wonderful. It was. Uh, this is when we were in Temple. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, Dan, when yeah. we were working together. It was this around. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, but in all seriousness, these books were the first serious anthologies in English language of latest hits and greatest memories of the political economy of communication. Yeah, yeah. 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 Critical communication face. review. We got the we got Whoa. the opportunity. Dude! Andre Dorce Ramos, cineasta. We got the opportunity from a publisher to put together this series. University of Wisconsin Press. And we thought Okay, the first one had to be on labor because no one's talking about labor. There's not enough done. It's so basic, and so that was that was the first one. And then we did maybe three or four after that. Now I didn't know there were annual reviews for a long time. I thought of them or I read them as standalone books. Well, it was a series. It wasn't necessarily annual, but it was a series of. It, it, four, five, you know, 
Wisconsin eventually realized what was going on and fired the editor. You know? <laughs> so, you know, then it did that. But, um, yeah. Um, well, they were something. Well, they were uh, and, and in, Sorry, in terms of fellow travelers, I'm thinking other people around about the time Manju Pendakur would have been in and around those developments. Dan. Hey, hey, we're podcasting. No, join in. Yeah. Well. Yes, yes, right. So, we Manju, oh, there were a bunch of people because also at the time, you know, if you realize that what was going on is there was. There was a blossoming, in a way, of critical stuff in the U.S. And it was, um, well, the social context was important. But what was going on in communication studies, media studies, uh, it was Illinois, where there's a pocket of critical folks. Meanwhile, at Stanford, there were people like uh, Tim Haight. Noreen Janis, Oscar Gandy, you know, they were in Stanford, uh, some of us were in Illinois, and, and then Curb was around, Dallas was around, Tom Lubeck was around, there, there was a bit of momentum that started being built, and that also culminated in the Union for Democratic Communication. Which is the, for those listening outside the United States, 50% of listeners are inside the U.S., but people from 50 countries listen every week. Hi, folks. Hi. <laughs> it's actually three men and a dog in Stockholm. Oh, okay. And two men and a monkey in Tehran. <laughs> but in any event, this Union for Democratic Communication, which you guys helped to found, really is the only proper media studies professional association in the United States. It's the only one with any kind of political project or credibility. Indeed. And it still survives, which is just amazing to me. At the time, it was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Um, well, I remember hearing Vinnie Mosco and Dan Schiller in a church. Do you remember this, Dan? They were in the pulpit of this church. Oh, nice Catholic boy right. from Little Italy, nice Jewish boy yeah, from yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, 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 yeah. In this church yeah. in St. Louis, preaching yeah. to us, yeah. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd died and <laughs> woken up in the Church of England. <laughs> well, it, it actually goes back to the founding of it in Philadelphia, supported by people like George Gerbner. Yes. Yes, I, which I think is important. The kind of hidden leftist in the ma in mainstream. Absolutely, people assume. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. He was still, he was still Dean Annenberg, and a, a, we, we, a weird confluence of things happened at Temple. We had the likes of me, Benny Mosco, Dan Schiller, Dallas Smythe. Who else did we have? Tran Van Den. Tran Van Den. This wonderful critical contingent, and so. And that came together, and, and we connected with the other Illinois folks and the Stanford folks, and we got together at a at some conference that was in Philadelphia, and then decided to create this association, and then had the first founding conference, supported by Gerbner at Annenberg, you know, UPenn. 
uh, in 80 or 81? Not at the time. Not, I, I don't think. I mean, he was there, but, you know. So, I'll let you see you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, but the UDC actually was pretty interesting, an attempt to combine critical academics, practitioners, activists, people who are trying to work in Washington as, you know, kind of agitators. Uh, and at that time there were more of them. And it was what it was a wonderful combination that was absolutely logical for us, but it also was a, a, a difficult combination because there was that you know the, the academic scholarly folks and then the activist types, and sometimes you know there are different agendas or different strategies, and and that was really a tension. But for years, uh, we had exciting conferences, gatherings, activities. Unfortunately, I think it never developed as I would have loved to see it develop in terms of trying to influence policy and so forth. And the kind of thing that I think Bob McChesney's Free Press really has been able to do. I mean, they, they've had a national kind of impact on things, and the UDC should have should have developed that way, and and never did because I think there was that kind of tension between the academic, the activists, and so forth. That that's my reading of it. Yeah. In terms of the activism and the scholarship, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it it's it's an interesting topic that I hope someone can explain to me someday. This this why haven't we been able to? organized to be able to affect things more. Uh, part of it is the American political scene, probably. Uh, I don't know, public intellectuals? What about are... unions in the industry? Uh, if we think about the, the broadcast television industry and the Hollywood studio industry, traditionally these are strongly unionized sectors. Yeah, yeah. Cable television never was. Telecommunications came and went and came back again. CWA. But it's not CWA huge is now. still around. But there are in sports and in television and cinema some of the strongest private sector unions this country's had in the last yeah, yeah. 40 years. Are yes. they labor aristocrats? What is the problem? Why are they not more involved? in a militant transnational activism. Interesting. Dan, your question to is too. Uh, I'm just laughing because you always ask such very uh, simple questions. <laughs> yeah, that are impossible to answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
activities that he has had in last then there was then there was neoliberalism yeah. yeah. Right, but in the case of Hollywood, they weathered all of that because they were basically corporate unions. Uh, they were there to cut the costs of health insurance and retirement insurance for lifelong employers. And that's why Hollywood could tolerate it. Yeah. There's, there's an amazing history of unionization in Hollywood. Uh, similar, possibly, to other unions in the U.S. with incredible corruption. In the 40s, it was run by some thugs. Serious. Seri yeah. Yeah. Gangsters who beat people yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Byoff and Brown, and, and, and also they were behind the whole blacklisting. Yep. Uh, episode and all that, but when you look at Hollywood, it is pretty amazing still how unionized it is. Absolutely. And what's kind of interesting is, it seems to me one of the rallying points recently that has um, been quite strong is their reaction to runaway production. I mean, they're losing jobs because producers are taking their films and their television programs away from from Hollywood. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come for yeah. emptiness. Oh! For at least some of it. Thank you. Let's see how many hands I have and how many fingers I have. Whoa! Six fingers there and... Wow, that's impressive. Wow. You're slipping into that class for me. All the way there we go. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Where were we? Corruption oh, so for unions. Runaway production runaway has been production. really interesting because what's interesting about that is, of course, it's seen as a Hollywood problem. You know, it's a problem of workers, not producers, because the producers are taking it elsewhere and they're getting enormous cuts, subsidies, tax breaks, and all that. It's all economic. Whereas, you know, the, the, the Hollywood workers, you know, maybe you think they're privileged, but they're not always that privileged. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're the ones that are, that are really being affected by that. And so there's been some rallying around that. You know, someone who did some work on this is George Gerker. Right before he died, he was working with some of the unions in terms of um, these issues, representation of women, and some other things, you know, which was pretty interesting. But well, Janet, to, to finish off, yes, could you share with the group in a non-directive, client-centered, therapeutic manner that will allow us all to grow together? <laughs> what the fuck you're working on now? Go. Oh. Good question. <laughs> Trying to get out of this podcast alive. <laughs> I am seriously working on 
and have been for a while. Um, a nice, neat, not simplistic, but straightforward description of the political economy and media. Hooray! Well, an accessible book. An accessible, yes. Accessible and accessible. God damn, it's hard to write. <laughs> accessible, not academies, not rhetorical, not not using jargon. Something that our undergraduates might understand. It is the hardest thing I've written. But I vow that I'm going to finish it by this summer. Can you tell us the chapter type, or roughly what no. cover? I can tell you about my onion. My onion is peeling back, you know, but I'm start, as opposed to Marx, I don't start with the outside of the onion, I'm starting with the inside of the onion. Commodification, markets, industries, corporations, globalization. Those, that's the way it's organized. Um, trying to make it accessible, lots of examples. It's... Damn, it's hard but to write. You've not written a textbook before. Not really. The Disney thing is used sometimes as a textbook. Right, but it wasn't but, produced yeah. as a textbook. No, no. I don't like to call it textbooks. But, but isn't it nonsense? But, you know, in terms of academic forms, the textbook is not right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to call it a textbook. Yeah, but I do want it to be something, not just to use in undergraduate courses. Vinny's book on political economy is fantastic, wonderful, doesn't work with undergraduates. And also, I want to be able to hand it to anyone in this bar and say, here's, you know, here's what political economy and media is, and maybe they would read it and, you know, that's what I'm working on. That's wonderful. Janet, thank you so much, as always, for your company, the pleasure of it. Thanks to your friends for joining with us in the pod tonight. And when this bestseller in bars like this comes out, <laughs> return to the pod, please. Will you do that for me? Yes, I will pod with you again. I love it.